God bless. This is Zoli, and you're now listening to the Dick Gregory Taught Me podcast. This episode is sponsored by Ill Fame Publishing and Uncomfortable Truth Lifestyle. Don't think for one minute you haven't got a difficult job. Let me explain this to you first. That I did not come here to impress you today, but only to inform you. And when I leave here, I couldn't care less about what you think about Dick Gregory, because I'll always have the one consolation of knowing that whenever we wake up this year, next year, 20 years from now, you'll always be able to say, at least Brother Greg didn't lie to me. I think that you youngsters really have to become aware and keep your eyes open. For instance, we got a civil rights bill last week. And a lot of people get real upset when black folks tell us, we don't want no damn civil rights bill. That ain't nothing but an insult to us. A lot of people think we ungraceful. Well, maybe we are, but we want our rights under the same piece of paper we pay our income tax by. We want our rights under that same piece of paper to draft black folks into the army and send them all over the world killing folks. Civil rights legislation? No. And I think the frightening thing that you youngsters have to understand that there were so many black folks and so many white folks that was cheering for that civil rights legislation. And to me, those people is worse than the Ku Klux Klan because at least the Klan know they don't want integration, know they don't want black folks to have nothing. You got white folks and black folks that's not even aware to be cheering for a civil rights bill. All that means is white folks going to be judged under the United States Constitution and black folks going to be judged under civil rights legislation. That's racial segregation. <laughs> and so many people was pulling for the legislation and it had me read it. But anything's okay for us. I don't mean just white folks. You got black folks running around. We got a civil rights bill. I say, did you read it? No, I didn't read it. You better read it. It might say all niggas go back to slavery. <laughs> and when you read it, it's real sickening. It says it covers 80% of the housing, and it, it, the, that part of it don't come into full effect until 1970. Isn't it awful the way they play games with us? I wish I was the type of black man that believed in going to war for this insane nation. And any black man that goes to war for this sick country, he's the true meaning of the word nigger. No. The hell a black man gonna go all over the world killing foreigners to liberate other foreigners when his own mammy back in America needs liberation. Something wrong. But if I was that type of nigga that would go to war for this country after that civil rights bill came through, I would inform, I would inform the army, don't call me till 1970, baby. And when 1970 rolled around, you can only get 80% of me. God bless. This is Zoe. Um, this is my third episode of Dick Gregory Taught Me Podcast. Um, and I appreciate all the feedback and everyone who's been listening. And I am super, super happy to have um, a guest today that I met while protesting. Uh, it was my sixth week of protesting. Uh, Miss Jessica. Miss Jessica Jackson is also dealing with a uh, black housing crisis. 
and we also um, started a hashtag, uh, Protect Black Housing in Chicago, that we actually thought of, well, actually, Miss Miss Jessica thought of the second day we actually talked on the phone. Uh, she's been uh, an angel um, when I feel like giving up or I don't understand certain things. She helps me. Um, I hope I help her as well. Uh, it's like an honorary auntie um, and just a beautiful spirit. So I'm super happy to have her here. Um, she was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Um, and after graduating, she moved to Los Angeles. And she was an accountant uh, for the Los Angeles Unified School District for 25 years. Uh, and then she recently moved back to Chicago 2019 due to the probate situation with her mother's estate. So welcome, Miss Jessica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. Um, can you briefly, you know, describe what is going on with your mom's estate? My mother's estate has been in probate since 2016, July 2016. And what's going on is, is that the probate process is a real estate grab. It's an opportunity to take property that's been bequeathed to individuals, passed down. Um, in my mother's situation in particular, she had a will. She had no debt at all. She didn't owe any back taxes. She didn't have any connection to a state facility that would be able to put a claim or a lien on her estate. Her property has been paid for for 20, 30 years. Yet, because the state of Illinois says that when a person passes, if they have real estate in their estate, even though it's a will, even though there's no debt, that estate still has to go through probate. And how long have you been fighting for your mom's estate? Since 2016. 2017 is when I started noticing that it was trickery, trickerations involved. But 2016 is when her estate went into probate. Okay, so um, your mom's property is in South Shore. Correct. And um, my mother's property is in Auburn Grisham, uh, and it was in a uh, opportunity zone. And I know that your um, property also is an opportunity zone which is why a lot of private developers and the city of Chicago have conspired to take uh, these buildings or, in, in my case, eminent domain uh, because of the money that they can get to provide affordable housing in predominant black neighborhoods. Uh, that's what I know of. I, I don't know if you can, you know anything else or if you're aware of that. Well, I know in South Shore, I think it's a multiple, it's a multitude of things that's going on in Chicago with black housing. It's not just one thing. It's not just one way. I think the eminent domain is a way. I think probate is a way. I think immigration is a way. Gentrification is a way. You know, all of these things, tax evictions, is a way. All of these things are things that affect black housing. So for you to have an example 
of eminent domain and for me to have an example of probate and for this other person to have an example of faulty reverse mortgages or another person to have an example of illegal foreclosures. That's part of problems in black housing. You know, so it depending on where you are, what's going on with you, where you are in life, whatever, then one of those um, tactics will come your way as a black person. That's just the way it is. One of those tactics will come your way. So my challenge that I'm dealing with right now is probate. Like right now, you're dealing with eminent domain because of your mother's uh, property. What do you think? What do you think about gentrification? Do you think that it should have happened? Do you think that uh, it's another racist tactic? Like, what is your thoughts on gentrification? To me, I think that it's another racist tactic. I don't think that it should have never happened. And you know, a lot of people say that Chicago is one of the most segregated cities, um, and it is. But I feel like everyone is content with the segregation here. Like a lot of my friends that are on the South side, born and raised, they don't even want to come downtown. Um, you know, like they're content. So I think them, you know, the, the whole gentrification of white people coming onto the South side, coming into the West side and starting to take our properties or, um, I mean, it's, it's basically it. They are, it's a Christopher Columbus. They're Christopher Columbusing our properties uh, and, Nothing is being done about it because we don't have the education, the knowledge, the money, or don't have the patience. I hear like a lot of my friends, like you know, you know, why are you why you keep fighting? You know, just you know, that's how Chicago is. So, like, what what are your thoughts on that? I think gentrification is twofold. I think it does have a racist aspect to it. You can't deny that. I think that. It's partially a political ploy in terms of the fact that the cities, the states, allowed these major cities to just go to trash like this. When you look at Los Angeles, when you look at New York, and now when you look at the south side of Chicago, and let's say growing up on the south side of Chicago in the 60s or being in L.A. in the 60s or 70s during that period of time. Same with Detroit, St. Louis. When you look at these cities that had major black populations by way of the migration, the great migration from the south in the 30s, 40s, 50s, when black people came from the South and came to those cities, to the Midwest or to L.A., migrated to the North to get out of the Jim Crow situation of the South, okay? And they came into these cities, these Northern cities like Chicago, and literally set up shop, right? And, and built those cities and built the South Side, built the West Side. Yes, it was segregated, it was, but nevertheless, it gave opportunity for black people to build their community. 
And I can tell you, growing up on the south side of Chicago in the 60s to 70s, early 80s, yeah, we didn't go downtown. We didn't have to go downtown. Everything that we wanted was on the south side. See, you looking at the south side today, you didn't see the south side of the 60s and 70s. You didn't see that. The neighborhood. You no, know, you didn't see that. You didn't see that on... on grocery stores. Right, on 71st, we had everything. We had grocery stores. It was banks all up and down Stony Island. You had black-owned car lots. You had black-owned gas stations. You had black-owned restaurants, black-owned bookstores, black-owned rest- uh, record stores, black-owned furniture stores. You could pick what restaurant you wanted to go to. You literally did not have to go downtown unless you just wanted to go to Marshall Fields. Woolworth. Unless you just... No, because Woolworths was on 71st and Jeffrey. So my mom said that when what now was Woolworth um, was it just white like that you couldn't sit at the counter because there no was- that was before then see that's that whole okay. Fisk University students sitting at the counter and did it yes that was Woolworth okay okay but there was a Woolworth on seventy first and Jeffrey okay okay and me and my mother. My sisters, people from the neighborhood or whoever else, by the time we came along, we could go in Woolworth however we wanted to go in Woolworth. And it, and it was nobody told you to get out. Nobody did it because we was on the south side. We was on the south side. You see, you know, and the south side didn't go to the west side. You know, that south side, west side thing been there since forever. You know, but... That's what I can tell you. You know, and you had Lake Michigan right there, so we went to the beach. You had your schools, and the schools had everything in them then. You had wood shopping schools, mechanics in schools, home ec in schools, all the sports programs, drama programs. We had everything in the 60s and 70s because we was coming out of the Jim Crow laws. We was coming out of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. We was coming out of the Title VII laws. So those things like housing on the South Side or those schools at that time still had all the resources in them that white people had had. So we come in by way of 1964 laws, now they have to let us live in neighborhoods that we want to live in, technically. They can, you know, now we can go to the schools that we, you know, wanted to go to, technically. So when you talk about gentrification, what you literally saw happen before your very eyes is basically the government saying, okay, all right, so since Negroes can get everything by law, well, we're just going to take all the money out of it. we just let it fall. So the next thing you know now, your schools don't have money in them. Next thing you know now, your buildings that need to be revamped don't get revamped. Next thing you know now, a business that goes out of business, nothing comes back to that business. Next thing you know now, 
let's say even with riots, they happen, but then the communities don't get rebuilt. Next thing, and so next thing you know, now, especially in Chicago, when they tore down those projects, you gotta, you don't remember how far wide the projects of Chicago went, all the way from, as we used to call the low end, all the way out to, like they say, the hundreds. That's a long stretch of housed people in one area. That's a lot. That's a lot of poverty. That's a lot of crime. That's a lot, but it was contained, if you will, to that stretch of area. You tear those projects down, now you scatter that all over the city. So now you have all this wildness all over the city, as opposed to before it being in one area. Okay, now you let it go throughout the city, but then you don't do anything to contain it. So you allow the areas to just go down, get crime infested, get poverty written. Now nobody wants to invest in those areas. Now no businesses want to come to those areas. Now people who are making good incomes or your middle income and upper income people, they don't want to buy in those areas. So now what does the city do? They allow those areas to go down, 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 get almost desolate. And then what do they do? By way of gentrification, come in on the back end, boom, and now they're swooping up those properties for dirt cheap. I was talking to um, a commercial her realtor actually last night, um, and she was explaining to me also she feels like, um, you know, gentrification is messed up and is because a lot of the, um, in the on the Gold Coast, a lot of the apartments are run down, um, you know, but the on prices the are, yeah, you know, the, wow. the, you know, the ceilings are caving in. Mm. Um, the, you know, they just, they're not, they don't care about them. They're not keeping them up, but their prices are still so high. So a lot of the gentrification people are moving to the South side or to the Inglewood or, you know, because they can get the same price for what they're getting downtown, mm. but with modern things for much cheaper. But that's by design too. Yeah. See, that's by design too. They'll if some type of government program said, okay, we have to let X amount of black people stay downtown. We gotta let X amount of black people stay on the north side. Okay. So they let you. But now they're gonna let it get torn up. They're gonna let it go to pieces. They're going to let it get ran down so that people do just like what you said. Why be downtown? I can go to the south side for this. And then they'll go to the south side. And then soon as all of this gets, you know, empty, so to speak, then they'll come and fix that faulty ceiling. They'll come and fix that new rail. They'll come to, and then the prices will still be high. The only difference is there won't be no vouchers. The people who can afford to pay will live in these places. And yep. people with vouchers will go further south. That's the reason why now they're extending the Dan Ryan to go from 95th further south. They finna push all those, which are 
vouchers and your this and that, you're gonna go south. White people want the city back. They want the city back. They tired of taking this hour and a half commute. They tired of not being able to look at out there at Pretty Lake, Michigan. They tired of not walking right to the corner and there's a train. They tired of that. And they didn't, you know, adhere to the laws, civil rights laws, long enough. We did long enough. We did long enough. Long enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's time for y'all to go. Time for y'all to go. It's very systematic. Right. It's, just, it's, yeah. it's, it's completely it's systematic. Plan. Yes. Yeah. You, here's the proof of that, Al. This Chicago. This Chicago. This Chicago. This Chicago. <laughs> you telling me that you believe that Chicago then turned this great big city, this popular city, over to a bunch of teenagers? You believe that? No, no. Hell it's no, by no. design. Yeah. You go right ahead, knock yourself out. Because we what this is what we do know. The government can stop anything they want to stop. Yes, yes. Just like they can start anything they want to start. Plandemic. Right. All of a sudden, no, it, it, it's no more pandemic. All of a sudden, it just went away. Poop, gone. Just gone. Now, all of a sudden, it's, uh, what, coming up on uh, voting time and all this. Now here we get ready to start talking and hearing about it again. COVID numbers are right, going people, up. Right, you know, that's just the way that is. So gentrification, you know, I, I don't like the fact that people are getting forced out. Now, right. the fact that the city needs a facelift, a revamp, yes. Because what you don't want is Chicago to look like L.A. or New York. Now, let's just be real. Say yeah. what you want to about Chicago. Say what you want to about Chicago. But over the years, unlike the other major cities, Chicago has maintained a beautiful downtown. Chicago has maintained a breathtaking north side. Say what you will yep. about Chicago. There are still pockets of Chicago that are beautiful. If you have money to go, there it is. Yeah, if no you got money to go and be a part of this and this activity and this and that, there it is. Now, L.A., on the other hand, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And it's yeah. just like, oh, my God. Yeah. New York, it's just like, but then, you know, it's always been New York. Yeah, New York so, always, you know, right. Man, so, you, yeah. New York has always been New York. You know, nobody expects New York to be anything other than New York. Okay, that's New York. Yeah. The good, bad, and ugly, it's New York. Yeah, New you know York what I'm saying? Right, it's New York. It's the epitome of city life. Yeah. It is what you get when you go to a city. It's not the suburb. Nope. No. No, it's city life. That's what New York is. And some of the best Caribbean food. They they got better Caribbean food, all ethnic food, better than American food in New York. New, New York. Yeah, yeah, it's New York. It's they New got, York. Like that, like, I can understand. Like, I grew mm -hmm. up, like, I, I'm, I'm from New York. Oh, yeah. That's you right. know, so 
immigrants there, you know, the migrants and stuff like that. That was normal, you know, right. getting your hair braided with 16 different Africans in your head, the best Caribbean food, all of that. Like, it's just normal, you know. But now, I mean, it's it's in Chicago. Like, for it to be in Chicago, no. Right. Like, Chicago has some, like, I tell people all the time, and there's no one that can argue with this. Everybody knows that Summertime Shy is undefeated. Undefeated. It's undefeated. Undefeated. Yeah, no one cannot argue with that. No one. No one. Yeah, there's something wrong with you. No one can argue anything about Chicago. Chicago Food. is Chicago. It is Chicago. Yeah. It's just Chicago what it is. Chicago is culture. I tell right. people all the time. So through everything, you know, you got to give kudos to Chicago that it has still maintained, you know, a lot of what Chicago over the years has been famous for, you know? So, because what you don't want is to see Chicago go to L.A. <laughs> That's what you don't want. That's one of the most heartbreaking things that you ever want to see. Yeah. And, and I saw it when I got there in 1985. It was a lot of black people in L.A. Yeah, L.A. was L.A., Yes, and it was a black L.A., and it was South Central L.A., it was Compton, it was Watts. Yes, it was all that that you hear of. It was the blue Crenshaw signs hanging on the street. It was the Saturday night drag racing coming down Crenshaw. It was, yeah, everything that you see in those, what, 60, 70, 80 movies about L.A., yeah. yes. That was like an era of yeah. Which is dissipated. Yeah, because I was coming from Chicago, right? And when I got there, I wasn't like, it wasn't no culture shock because it was still a lot of black people and this and that. Mm -hmm. What you notice right away coming from Chicago is that L.A. was so clean. L.A. looked really clean. You know, and I just attribute that to, you know, because Hollywood. They make mm -hmm. a lot of movies out there, you know. But that's what you notice. But it wasn't like the difference of um, black people and culture. No. L.A. had a black culture. They had black neighborhoods. They had, yes. N.W.A. Yeah, all that. All that. Yeah. All that. All that. Yes. And then you looked up one day, you literally looked up one day, and it was like, wait, hold it. Where, where the black people at? Wait, whoa. And it was literally like an influx of Hispanics. And you were hearing, like, um, back then, it was like Governor Pete Wilson and them, those Republican governors. Oh, yeah. yeah, they were talking about control immigration, even mm -hmm. back then. Right? They would, that was political talking points back then. So I'm going to always stand with Republicans when it comes to this migrant right. situation. That I do have to agree with them on. And then, you know, when Democrats became more and more popular in L.A. or whatever, and then you saw the immigration begin. And to be honest with you, and I've told you this before, there was no pushback from black people in L.A. 
when you saw that infiltration of Hispanics. No, they weren't. They weren't pushing back. No, they weren't. Um, in fact, you first heard churches, mm -hmm. black churches, start with that black and brown thing. And then you sitting there as a black person, like, black and brown? What are they talking about? Black and brown? Because we had just come out of the era of black power. We had just came out of the era of say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. We just came out of the era, it was about being black. Now, all of a sudden, you start hearing from the pulpits about black and brown. Because years ago when Jesse Jackson came with that rainbow coalition, it really mm -hmm. didn't take hold. People, you know, black people was like, what? Rainbow coalition, right? <laughs> no, it didn't, it didn't take hold. If anything, he lost some of his popularity. Absolutely. Because Jesse Jackson was a big thing in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, he was. With that Operation Push mm -hmm. and all that, yes, he was. And by the way, yes, Operation was. Push was across the street from where the my mom's building was demolished. Mm -mm. Yes. Right directly mm -mm. across the street. And see, and I can tell you, in the heyday of Jesse Jackson and Operation Push, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that probably would not have happened. Now, I've heard, um, I can't remember if I heard it in a documentary or something, but Jesse Jackson is responsible for a lot of people having their properties on the South Side in the early 60s. And like that's my understanding, that at that time, he made the Chicago local governments um, agree that they had to give um, X amount of home mortgages to people on the South Side. That that was something that he had worked out with um, the city or something here. Um, I'm pretty, pretty positive I had heard that about him. And back in that time, I see that that's very possible. Mm, okay. Very possible. The, the Jesse Jackson that you all see are older Jesse Jackson and other, well, you know, that's an elderly man now. And things over the years may have happened in his political career and all this that a lot of us are not privy to and some of us may be privy to it. I don't know. Start but I do know, and, and, and that could be, I don't know. But what I do know is Coming up as a young person in Chicago, at one period of time, Jesse Jackson was a force in this city and in this community. And yes, he did do a lot of good. Now, what happened later on, what happened with a whole lot of these politicians? Culture vulture. You know, what happened with Bobby Rush? Supposedly, he used to be a panther. You mm -hmm. know, what happened with, you know, what happened with a lot of these um, black politicians, they get older, they get well-connected, things change, and that's why the younger generation supposed to, you know, pick up the gavel, and then you take it from there. You take the mm -hmm. baton from there. You can't expect the same group of people to keep on doing everything. You can't, that's, a, that's an unrealistic expectation. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's um, the issue I think I'm dealing with because I'm at that age that, mm -hmm. you know, 
I done partied. I done, you know, uh, I've done everything I needed to do as far as I feel like I've matured in the past year. And even before helping my mother fight for this, it was just like looking at my friend group and just looking at my circle like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing for the community? What are we doing for black people? What are we doing for elders? Like, what are, like, you know, what are, like, pretty soon we're going to be that age. And like, so it's like you start looking at certain things and you're like, you know what? I don't want to live my life like this. Or, you know what? Me and you are, we don't align anymore as far as a friend group. I still rock with you. I see you. You know, you're associate now. But as far as my friend group, I've learned that who are the leaders? Like we're we're losing we're losing great leaders. We're losing good people, and we're not who who's <clears throat> going to step up to the plate. Like one of my good friends said, like when Harry Belafonte passed away, she was so sad and upset and distraught, and she was more upset and distraught because we're losing all of these good people, and we have no one to replace them. And that is what's scary as far as my generation. You know, like like something you said, I think a couple of weeks ago, when we, when we were in that car, we were arguing with that man. With the Uber driver. Yeah, because he was saying, we say we only need to have one, yeah. one black leader. Why It doesn't have to be a whole bunch of leaders. And you were explaining, like, Martin, Malcolm, um... Muhammad, uh, the Panthers. The Panthers. You were saying right. that everybody, you know, were still fighting for the same thing, just all different types. And he, it just was not getting through. But then we found out, nigga, you're not even American. So why are we even having this conversation with you? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, it's like, like <laughs> arguing with somebody with a bald head about uh, how you wash your hair. Why? <laughs> Why? It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, he, Jessica he, was like, how much further do we have to go? Because, like, he was making absolutely no sense. It was four people that just, we just met each other, and we have organized, and we're going on the west side to explain what they're doing on the south side. And he's telling us that we do not stick together. Hmm. So, like, this is the That's problem. That's what he said. That's yeah. what he said. He said that the problem with black people is they don't stick together. They don't stick together. Okay, but it's four black people <laughs> all in walks, the car all with walks you of life. right now <laughs> from all different walks of life on our way to meet up with more black people <laughs> to talk about the situation with black people housing. And you, <laughs> an individual... It has nothing to do with black people except for the fact that you reap the benefits of black people. Amen. Want to tell us, me, <laughs> with a head full of gray, George, with a head full of gray, you going to tell us <laughs> about what now? That we do not stick together. Okay, it, it, and we it, need to be one leader. It becomes so ridiculous. Yeah. But when you say you don't, we don't have this person, that person. Eh. Well, again, you're talking about a different time. 
Exactly. Like I explained then, there was a time when black people had, if nothing else, one common goal. We want to get up out of this situation. We want to not be in Jim Crow. Or yeah. we do not want to be slaves. All right. All right. Now, how you get to that, that's individually up to you. Exactly. Some slaves probably killed their masters to get free. Some killed themselves. Yeah, well, <laughs> we talking about healthy choices. Okay. Some burnt down plantations, like Nat Turner and them. Mm -hmm. Some followed the North Star to the North. Some went by way of the Underground Railroad. But at the end of the day, their collective mentality was, we getting out of slavery. Well, it's the same thing when you move forward to the Jim Crow era. Okay. What black people understood then is we want to come from up under segregation. We want to come from under Jim Crow. Whether you rich black or poor black, because even if you was rich black, you got to perform on the stages and stuff for white people, but you had to come through the back door to even mm -hmm. get in. Or like Chuck Berry, you could perform at these places but you can't stay at certain hotels. So his uh, story is, that's why he always slept in his car. And Mr. Or, Gregory, um, Jack Parshall. Yeah. He refused to perform if he couldn't sit on the, sit on the uh, couch and speak first, uh, interview, get interviewed first. And that was a big thing because he was the first black man to actually, be, to actually sit on the Jack Parshall hmm. and be interviewed instead of just going up there, like you say, going behind, going in the back door mm -hmm. and, you know, do his jokes and then leave. Right. And Jack Parr himself called him and asked him that, you know, why is he not going to go on the show? He explains why. And he, Jack Parr says, you know what? You can come sit on the couch. Mm -hmm. So those are major things that people need to understand. Like you're saying, it's, it's, I think we have, as, 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 as I know is, uh, we were really goal-oriented then. Like, everybody well, it was had a goal. Right there. Yeah. Look, it was right there. Like what we're talking about. It didn't matter how esteemed you were. You still were subjected to Jim Crow or you still were subjected to segregation. It didn't matter how much education you had. Mm -hmm. You still were subjected to Jim Crow and segregation. It didn't matter if you were Christian or not Christian. If you were, The reality was you were still subjected to segregation. Mm -hmm. So everybody that was black could get together on that one thing which was, we want to come out of segregation. Now, whether you think the nonviolent way is to go, then you go with King and the nonviolent protest. If you think self-defense is the way to go, then you go with Malcolm X and you go with the uh, uh, Nation of Islam. Oh, wow. If you think that bearing arms is the way to go to protect your community, then you roll with the Panthers. If you think that intellect standing up intellectually is the way to go, then you rocked with Angela Davis and Nikki Giovanni. If you just, you picked your lane, but at mm -hmm. the end of the day, everybody agreed we want to come from out of segregation and or Jim Crow. Because even though the South 
had actual Jim Crow, but when you came to the North, like Chicago and New York, segregation was jumping off there too. It just wasn't no signs. When Mm -hmm. you see um, King's speech, when he came to Chicago, and what was it, was that 57? Was that 1957, I think? He came to Chicago? What? When he he protested here, and he said that the mobs here in Chicago were worse than any mob he had ever come into oh, contact yeah, yeah. with in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Was it uh, 19, in the 60s? It was in the 60s or even the late 50s, 65, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's but that's 65. what he said of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, no, Chicago didn't have a black fountain and a white fountain. No, they didn't. But I will tell you this. Coming up as a teenager, we knew we better not go past Cicero. Mm. We knew we better not go over there to, what was it, uh, Bogan and those areas like that or some parts. Some people, you hear some people talk about, um, like, over there around where Chinatown is or and so you, you know. Bridgeport. Yeah. yeah. Bridgeport. Bridgeport. Yeah. You That's hear people. <laughs> right. There were places in Chicago straight up where no we did not go. Right. You That's just, where I grew up. You like see, Bridgeport, what, McKinley Park, back of the yards. Mm, yeah. Okay. You grew up over there. Yeah. Okay. And I'm just saying, yes, there was no sign that said uh, black people came up, but you just knew you better not. Mm-hmm. You better not. So the sec- that that issue was all over the country. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And so that was something that everybody could get on. Like I, the example I like to use is getting to four. Two plus two is four, yeah, but so is one plus three. So is four plus zero. So mm-hmm. is five minus one. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know, all of it at the end of the day is you three getting to four. four. And so that's what that was then. Today, black people have to find a common, common ground. ground. Oh, damn. And, 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 yeah. and what that common ground is today, I don't know. Because you got black people who say we should get reparations, but then you got black people that talk against reparations. Yeah, so you can't, say, you can't say <laughs> that's a common ground. Um, I don't know. It's got to get to the point where... I, let's say, for example, let's take Cube. Let's take Ice Cube, for example. Let's take him, for example. And he's a man of influence. He's a man of money. Because Ice Cube got money? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and you see the problems that he's having with the big three and the NBA. Okay? Or you look at the things that maybe Kyrie Irving Look at the things Kanye that... Kanye West. Yeah, uh-huh, Kanye West. And again, because you know how people get in their feelings. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the people. We're talking about the process. The process, hmm We're not talking about whether you agree with them. or We're talking about the process, okay? Um, what those people have in common is that they've seen that as black people... 
even though they've gotten to this certain accolade, that they're, they're still met with a certain level of opposition. They're still blocked out from certain opportunity. They're still not getting the fair shakes, you know, that they think that they should be entitled to. They, you know, so now when you have somebody like you who's willing to speak on that, so now it's got to be collectively somehow mm-hmm. where black people, whether you're rich, whether you're lower means, whether you're, you, you, you come together under the umbrella of things are not equal, things are not fair, even as I move in this different circle. I'm saying that it's not fair here. And see, in the way that corporations and the powers that be were able to pull that on, let's say, Jay-Z and Cube and them, or Snoop and them, right? Where they came from the background of the rags-to-riches story, so to speak, that they came up you know, from being this and that in the streets. And then now they, you know, became rappers, got their big money, but now they decide that they want to go into legitimate businesses, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Now you think about that for a minute. They're entrepreneurs. Now. I'm not talking about the 50 cent we know today. I'm not talking about the Snoop we know today or Jay-Z that we know today. I'm talking about when they first came in the game. Mm-hmm. being from where they were from. And now you got all this money by way of rapping or whatever, and now you want to go and you want to sit around the big tables. Come on. And now you sitting around the big tables, and they are letting you come and sit at the table because they recognize the marketing in you. They recognize how they the money bank that you can tap into, the population that you can tap into. So they tell you, come on to this table. But the reality is they talking way over their head. They talking way over their head. Again, we're not talking about the 50 cent we know today. We ain't talking about the cube and them we know today. We're talking about them coming into the game in their, what, early 20s, maybe middle 20s, and coming from where they say they're from, and now, 10 years later or whatever, find themselves, quote-unquote, in these rooms with people who have been willing and dealing on corporate levels and contracts since forever, people who were born into riches, born into corporations. Now you sitting down with them. Mm -hmm. Now, on one end, while I'm sure there's X amount of pride in that because I'm proud of them. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether I agree with whether this and this, that, no, no, no. I'm talking about from coming up with them. Yeah, they broke a barrier. And seeing how they broke that barrier of no longer having to go to white labels for everything and da, 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 that they were controlling their music. They were making their sounds. They were saying that after they rap, they were going to make clotheslines and do movies and stuff. Yes, I'm proud of them. Mm-hmm. On that, now, the spin that hip-hop then took here lady, that's a different talk show. But I'm talking about when they came yeah. in the game. Yeah, from the mud. They and when, right, the as they say. And so now they see themselves sitting in the room with these great big old corporate moguls. They sitting in there with a, a, a 
MGM. They sitting in there with these Hennessy people. They sitting in here with these uh, skyscraper people. These da, da, da. They sitting there. Them people been in them rooms. Yep. Them people been had hookups. And I, you know, I don't know. I never met none of them person. But I'm willing to bet they got cheated out of a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Not understanding this business stuff. Not understanding contracts. Not understanding, just being glad that they in the room. And, and even though they've made a lot of money since then, but I'm willing to bet they got cheated out of a lot of money early on. Yeah, one of my favorite um, songs from uh, Jay-Z's story, OJ, he speaks about, I always put it um, like on anything that I post when I'm protesting, yeah. is that he was... Um, he, you know, as you see Brooklyn now, Brooklyn is Jewish. It's not even Brooklyn anymore. Yeah, they say you wouldn't even recognize Brooklyn now with all the gentrification. <laughs> yeah. That's what they say. Um, he said he was offered to buy a, bi buy a building uh, for a certain amount of money, and he didn't. And now mm. it's worth like $25 million. I think it was like $5 million, something like that. He At was, that time. And, and he didn't do it. Um, but now it's worth $25 million. He was like, now who's the Dumbo? You know I mean, you don't because, know what because you don't name, know. But, but the name of the part of Brooklyn that it's in mm -hmm. is called Dumbo, Brooklyn. Oh. Yeah. You know what I'm okay. But it was just, so I listened to that a lot because he teaching us. Mm -hmm. You know, he's letting us know, like, you know, if you have a chance to get some property and you got the money, because he had the money at mm -hmm. that time. Like mm -hmm. you said, mm -hmm. a lot of people, he wasn't, no one probably really, instilled that in, told him, like, yo, you might as well get that, you know, you know, but he let us know, you know, what happened. And that's a that that makes me go harder when it comes to eminent domain, when it comes mm -hmm. to my mother, or just really researching that because I know where my mother's building was, it's opportunity zone. Mm. And like you said, the they're they're doing what the um they're stretching the the metro the red line. The red line out further. Yeah, I think all the way to, was it 130th, I think they said? Wow. Yeah, they they going to stretch it far. Mm -hmm. <laughs> look, look, they going to stretch it far. Far. Yeah. They going to stretch it far. And they're not even, like, really talking about that like that. You see, again, when you say, where are we now? That's where we are now, at the point where we have to be politically and economically intelligent now. We have no choice. That's the only way we're going to survive now. We have to be politically and, and economically intelligent. And, you know, because when you talk about, like, the 60s and stuff like that, you know, getting that Civil Rights Act of 1964 to bring down segregation slash Jim Crow, whatever, equal opportunity and stuff. That was the major thing. It's just something that we take for granted because we're able to go wherever we want to go and we're able to do, quote, unquote, whatever we want to do. So we just take it for granted, you know, but that was a major thing. And that was the social justice, the show, social equality that they were doing, trying to attain at that time. Okay, now that happens, okay, and we really believed, I think, black people really did believe that the 1964 Civil Act was, Civil Rights Act, was our political tool mm -hmm. 
I believe that, yeah, for, for, yeah, we thought, just like the Emancipation Proclamation, black people thought that was the political tool. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't know that even though the document had been signed, they still wasn't going to give us our 40 acres and a mule. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that even though the document was signed, they was going to hit us with Jim uh, uh, was uh, sharecropping and, it, and black codes and stuff. How would they know? You're talking about the people that came from somewhere and don't have no idea where they are and had to learn this country. Mm -hmm. See, that's what makes us different from every other minority in the United States of America. That we got it, I'm going to use your term, what? From the mud. Didn't nobody do this for black people. And that's what I need us to understand. Like no, we understand it. That's what we need to make other people, including ourselves, respect. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Respect. That's why I like... Including yeah. ourselves. Like how the Jews have them, us, everybody respecting and the that Holocaust didn't even, And that didn't even happen on American soil. Right, man. We talking about what happened on American, American soil. soil. Yep. That's why I don't because really Because when you that. go to all these different parts of the world, from what I hear, I tend to not go too far from the United States. I don't need to be trapped nowhere. Okay? <laughs> but <laughs> from what I hear. <laughs> not even all, all page expenses. <laughs> no, I'm not getting trapped nowhere. Okay? Okay? <laughs> but from what you hear... All countries have their battles, whatever, in their countries. This be happening over there. This people be conquering somebody over there. That's what, okay, so that's there. We talking about what happened over here. Mm -hmm. And what we talking about that happened over here is our ancestors, now again, some people's position is that because the black man is the original man, that we migrated to all parts of the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. that, that, so therefore, there were some black people that were already in what we know today is to be the Americas or whatever. You right. hear some, you know, content creators talk about that. They call it, they, they uh, tag it FBA, Foundational Black Americans. Like, you know, okay. uh, uh, like Tyreek Nasheed and them, they own that. They say that it ain't just black people that came from the slave trade over here, that black people were already here. Yeah. You know, you, you hear well, that there was theory. land bridges before, you know, before the Ice Age or during the Ice Age where, like, you know, people from Asia and yeah. they would have crossed over to North America, just the way the Because the world the was still one was geographic kinda, or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And as time goes, you know, land spread, but there are still people left just so much history but there's only like what's the oldest i think actual written history is only like four, we only have four thousand years of actual written history yeah that uh yeah. where they got hep with hypoglyphics yeah. that's over um, there in so egypt there's still mm -hmm. history King that's seven. not written that we don't know about but you know so yeah i like what you're saying yeah yeah so this is this is the philosophy that you hear yeah and then they say, that's why, like, I got a picture of my grandmother. I showed it to mm -hmm. you, my grandmother's mother. She looks like a black Indian. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So you hear that. You hear people say that the slave trade, for sure it took place, but they only did that for X amount of years because after that, they started breeding. 
9,000. You know, and again, you can believe that. Mm -hmm. You know, so when you talk about a people that did not come here on their own to look for the uh, great American dream, it was mm -hmm. forced. It was forced on us. You're talking about people who came here where the law said they couldn't read and write. Now you talk about immigrants that come here and all oh, that's laid down for them. Yep. Now they can go to school. Now, you know, if Hispanics come heavily into the school system like they did in L.A., now you're going to see the classes be ESL, English as a Second Language, you know, where now they put them in special classes to help them learn. Or sometimes they'll slow instruction down to teach that uh, child that's uh, slow learning with uh, a different language. Well, they didn't do that for us. I just read an article today actually talking about Chicago public schools. And, yes, the funding is there, but the children aren't going to school. And so they're starting to put the um, the migrant children in there because the kids are starting to complain about that they're slowing the process down. Mm -hmm. Now, the parents have to get in. Mm -hmm. See, the parents, the black parents have to say, no, you're not going to take my tax dollars and slow the learning of my child down to accommodate them. No, you're not, because I can guarantee you if a black family moved to Mexico right now and went to school, no one's going to slow down instructing those Hispanic kids to accommodate that black kid Absolutely that's there. Absolutely not. That's See, just I, like yeah. if I'm in trouble with my house in probate, my property in probate, your mother's in, uh, having an issue with her eminent domain or her voucher, what she's going to do about a voucher, okay? I can guarantee you we cannot go to the Mexican border, tell them our government bothering us. We want to come over there. And they're going to open up that border, tell us, come on, come on in here, and we're going to give you free housing. We're going to give you free education. We're going to give you some money. And they damn sure ain't going to let us stand there and demand it in Mexico and wave our flag. Now, that's what ain't going to happen. Absolutely that's what it, not. That's what not, and I don't get that. I don't understand how these immigrants come over here and demand yeah. Rights. They demand America to do this and do that for them and wave their his Mexican flag <laughs> and this and that. No, go back to Mexico and demand Mexico to do what Mexico yeah. needs to do for you and then wave your flag over there. I remember in high school, um, my mom was like, I think my, my report card came and I got like, like an E <laughs> and that's like worse than F. <laughs> right, um, for Spanish. And my mom was like, you ain't studying? No. Why? Like, I, you're going to have to learn English. I mean, you're going to have to learn Spanish. It's going to be a second, langu second language. No, I do not. Why do I have to learn Spanish and I live in America? Why do I have to press two all the time? Why? Like, I don't have nothing to do with that. Like, I'm not, I live in America, born and raised in America. My first language is English. I don't need to learn French unless I want to learn French because I love French. If I want to learn Spanish because I love 
Spanish and I want to learn how to speak Spanish, then yeah. But why am I required to learn a second language? Um, because because I'm in America and there's and and because there's the Spanish people are starting to come over. I didn't. I never understood that. I still don't understand it. I still don't understand it to this day. Like no. Like why do I have to make it? Why do I have to be uncomfortable in the in this United States where I was born and raised? I was born in Albany, New York. English. When you when, when my mother first when I first started speaking a language, it was English. It was no other language but English. And I think that that was a thing. I think that was an issue where I think our parents, and I think all parents, not just you know black, but all parents should have should start talking about some stuff. Then like. Why am I failing a grade? My my GPA is going down for a language that I know I'm not. I have no desire to speak this language when I get older. And I know you start seeing that in LAUSD in my latter years. Once you know the immigrant population, because LA Unified ended up by the time I left out the school district, LA Unified was like eighty percent Hispanic for students. I mean, it's just like, yeah. And um, you start seeing on the job bulletins saying that you had to be bilingual or bilingual preferred, you know, and it's like, what? So now you got a whole group of people that you're not going to hire. Because when you look at people, let's say like my age, yes, in high school we had to take a foreign language. It was part of your educational requirements to graduate, but it was never um, pitched to us like we were learning French or you was learning Spanish because one day that's going to be the major language here. No, it was just that you was just learning another language. Nobody expected you to talk French after you left out of French class. Yeah, and I think people going to foreign, that's when I think the foreign exchange, like my my sister, um, I know after high school, she went to Spain to live for like Mm -hmm. six or seven months, you know, under the foreign exchange program. Mm -hmm. I met a man uh, two weeks ago, a Lyft driver. He's here from hmm. Turkey hmm. for a foreign exchange program. Foreign exchange students. Yeah. So I don't know, like, where the disconnect is when it comes to that, because I feel like if you want to go further in learning Spanish, French, whatever language, there's other courses that you can take or, like, the foreign exchange program. But, like, they don't even, like, I don't feel like, don't force me to speak anything I don't want to, I don't want to speak in my state. Right, in my country. In my country, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 I don't know, but I know that black people better do something. We better do something. Because if not, we just going to be, we going to be in trouble. And that's just the bottom line. We got to stop thinking about other people. We got to focus on mm-hmm. ourselves. You and really we really be worried accept, about the wrong shit. Right, and we got to, we got to um, move into a place of acceptance. You know, the, you know, the reality is this is where we are today. Mm-hmm. You know, this, that, and the other happened in the past, the good, bad, and the ugly, but this is where we are today. And if we don't do something about ourselves today, our children, our grandchildren are going to be in trouble. They're going to be economically desolate. And if you do not have economics, you're going to be done. You're going to be done. 
you know, that's what a lot of bringing over these immigrants and all that is about. Now, the good thing about Chicago, because Chicago is Chicago, when they bought that immigration thing here, those South Side Negroes start cutting up. <laughs> they start cutting up. <laughs> they start cutting up. Seg- right. The and then, segregation. Right. And when they start cutting up, because remember I said, California didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. No pushback. You heard black people in California literally saying, well, you know, California did used to be Mexico. They did used to be Mexico, <laughs> though. Yeah, you heard them all the time. Yeah, half of the states was Mexico. <laughs> right, all the time. You heard black people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you looked up. Mexico, yeah, actually. and then you looked up. Now, boom. Now what? And I think they say now that California is less than 6% black. Mm. Something like that. You literally got to look for black people. You, you, you looking for black people like this in L.A. now. Right. California, got period. Some binoculars. Yeah. You, you got to look for them. You got to search. One. No, you got to search far and wide to find some soul food. Right. And now that no. Roscoe's ain't it. No, it's Gone. You need like a bat signal or something. Yeah. Find me. Find me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's like, oh, my God. And then, like you said, New York. Mm-hmm. New York has always had that immigration it's flavor. Been a melting pot. Right, it's always yeah, been like a melting I've been pot. Called yeah, and it Dominican just been, so much in New York, just walking down the street. You understand? Know so always it's just, been it's, a it's melting always been pot. Like that. So, yeah. Plus, it's been different types of immigrants. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you let New York be New York. Mm-hmm. Okay, it never was a big deal per se. Yes. Okay, now that's different. Now you didn't bought your little immigrant status to Chicago. Now, typically, like I say, growing up, we used to always say Puerto Ricans. We wasn't saying Hispanics, Mexicans. No, we used to say Puerto Ricans. Mm-hmm. And back then, you used to always say, yeah, them Puerto Ricans live over there off 90 person commercial. Yeah, it was like a part of the South Side over there on 91st Commercial mm-hmm. over there. And that's where, you know, you saw what we call Puerto Ricans. But right. I'm pretty sure it was probably all different type of Hispanics over there. Right. But that's what we used to call them, okay? And that was that. Okay, no biggie, no problem, all right. Okay, over the years, you start seeing Hispanics here. But one thing that you noticed about them, and I noticed about them, they assimilated here. They came here trying to assimilate into Chicago. They Mm -hmm. weren't trying to be, you know, set up their own little, you know, Mexico situations and Mm -hmm. stuff here. No, they assimilated. Wouldn't you say? You know, you saw them, you know, just living their little life. Okay. No problem. Now, with this force of immigration, Now, that's a different situation. So you come and you, quote, unquote, dump these people where you thought was going to be on the south side. And they sucked around and found out. It's what happened. Now, with that, with Chicago black people fighting back, saying, no, y'all talking about it's a sanctuary city. Like I heard this brother say uh, when he called in on WBON, he said, y'all said it's a sanctuary city, not a sanctuary south side. How is it everybody (laughs) well? How y'all bringing everybody over here? Y'all better take some of that up north. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, that's what pushed some of this immigration up north. Okay, but initially, oh yeah, they had the plan. They was about to dump all this in our neighborhoods. Yes, they were. So now, black people here on the south side start mm-hmm. saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, pushing back. Now, that's what opened up this national dialogue now about immigration. Right. California did not open up the national dialogue of pushing back on immigration, and neither did New York. Mayor Adams came on pushing back real hard after Chicago started cutting mm-hmm. up. At first, Mayor Adams was with it, too. Mm-hmm. He was with it, too. Oh, I look at them committee meetings. He was, was with it, too. Off. Even the white people were right. off in New York. Yep, they were like, what right. are you doing? So now you're seeing, you know... Just push back. And black people need to continue to push back. We don't need to stop pushing back. You don't let them come over here and take everything from us. In fact, not only should black people push back, America needs to push back. America needs to push back. We got enough problems over here. We cannot afford to take care of this. These people, countries, got to handle this. Ain't no way in your world, my world, or the next world, these many people running from asylum. These many mm. people, asylum seekers. Are you kidding me? Nah, as many as as if much money case, we Mexico go, would we be in a complete revolt in Mexico uproar. for vacations. We right. made. I tell people all the time during 2020, right during the pandemic, when we started getting that PPP money and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that there was a part of Mexico called Tulum, right? Tulum, black people made Tulum so popular. <laughs> like, we, I tell people, like, we made Tulum. Black people were going there. We were spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm. And Tulum was so popular, and still popular to this day, mm. because of us, because of black people. I mean, they just they just opened up a um, a restaurant in Atlanta called Tulum. That's just how influential black mm-hmm. people are and the influence we had. But we brought all this money to Mexico, especially during the pandemic, because Mexico was open. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying we were going from Playa de Carmen, Cancun, Cabo, and then Tulum. I mean, Tulum is like a two-hour, three-hour drive from Cancun um, Airport. But that's just how much money we were bringing over there. So that's why, like you say, how? How was it? How are y'all all running? Because to this day, that my, some of my friends still going over there. I'm never, I'm not going to Mexico. No, I'm not messing with Mexico. Yeah, Mexico. you know, they, 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 the, the last thing they did was when they killed some of us and then they dropped the bodies back over to us and said like they didn't mean to and then they're robbing us and stuff like that so that's no, a whole another no, yeah, that's yeah, a whole another yeah. topic I'm cool on yeah. Mexico <laughs> and then after being in LA for 35 years and it's heavily Hispanic like that I don't feel the need to travel to just FYI that. Mexico is pretty safe <laughs> 